Hey, Adam Smolcom here, lead pastor of Vive Church. Welcome to our podcast. I pray that God will speak to you through the message today and that a greater level of faith would be unlocked in your life. God bless. I want you to turn with me to, uh, in your Bibles, to our series scripture in Romans chapter 8 and verse 28. And I am gonna go ahead and read this. How many people have memorized our series scripture by now? You have heard it so much. No one is willing to put their hand up because you know me. I may just get you up here to recite it in front of everybody. But Romans chapter 8, verse 28 says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose, for those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son in order that He may be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom He predestined, He also called. And those whom He called, He also justified. And those whom He justified, He also glorified. Can we keep going for a minute? Verse 31, it says, What then shall we say to all these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for all of us, how will He not also with Him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Because it's a global Sunday, I thought I would go deeper today, if that's okay with you. And I wanna continue in our series in a sermon I'm entitling, For and Against Election. For (laughs) and Against Election, you are not ready for the doctrine of election on a Sunday morning. You are like, Pastor, we are not ready. We thought we'd just do it. Keep it light, like a brunch, not a real heavy lunch, just a a brunch. No, no, we're going for lunch today. We're going for a full meal. We're talking about the doctrine of election in Vive Church today. So I want you to prepare your hearts all over the globe. I want you to find five of the finest people that you know around you. Give them a bear hug, give them a handshake, embrace them somehow and tell them, are you for or against election? Why don't you ask them, ask them, ask them, ask them, go. Go. (laughs) So we're officially now just one month into 2023. Congratulations. But I do have to ask, how are your New Year goals going? That's what I need to ask. I think back only several weeks ago, as we all entered the New Year, many of us did it together in our New Year's Eve praise party, which in many ways, I love the new year. It represents a fresh start, a brand new beginning. And a lot of us made some commitments. So I'm wondering not just how grand your goals were, but how you're going with them, especially in the area of maybe fitness goals, fitness goals. It's incredible the amount of determination that exists at the beginning of the year. It's fascinating just how much fervor you have when you set these grand goals on January 1st and how different things are in January 31st. How many people know what I'm talking about? This idea of goal setting and this ferocious thought, I heard many people say, this is my year. They told me, Pastor, this is my year. Like, what am I going to do about that? (laughs) Amen, brother. I'm with you. But this is my Year only to find that by the time we get to February, you've, let's say, modified, <laughs> modified your goals. And don't hear me wrong; I am not here to condemn today. I, I, I'm here. I'm here to come w- w- with an excuse for you. 
I'm on your team. I am very good at excuses and I'm come to help you with an excuse because the truth is there is so much that is working against you. I mean, when you make the commitment at the beginning of the year, it's, it's definitely done, this, this New Year's resolution, it's done with optimism and it's kind of done with a blank canvas because often when you make it, you're not at work, you're on break. You're with the family. You don't have the schedule of your every day. You weren't thinking about that. You were just making goals on a blank canvas. And then you got into the year and, and, and there's work schedules and there's the kids' schedule, so time's working against you. There's the economy. That's not your fault. We won't go into whose fault that is. We'll just leave that. But the economy's working against you. Your bank balance is probably working against you. So that commitment to the gym membership is now waning. You're wondering, should I take that back? It ain't your fault. It's economically fiscal. Properly, you know, to, to use that money elsewhere. I know, it's, there's so many things working against you, people. I'm your friend. I'm with you, there's, there's things working against you. Even progress can work against you. You know you get a little progress and you get a little cocky and all of a sudden you're like, I deserve a reward. Like we literally did this the other night. We've been working hard and we've been, you know, no, no, you were with me, honey. <laughs> we're a team, we are married. And we thought we deserved a snack. The whole bag of cheese Doritos. Family size. It was a miracle. It disappeared before our eyes. It just... Set back. In fact, I want to really help you out because I don't think that it's not... It's not that you're not deeply committed to achieving your goals. It's simply that we often underestimate all the things that are working against us. You know, what's interesting in this letter that we just wrote from Paul to the Roman church is the apostle seems to be filled with that new year optimism that we all have, that, that fresh start. I mean, after revealing so eloquently that for those who love God, all things work together for good, he essentially concludes with this exciting statement in verse 31 saying, if God is for us, who can be against us? It's like he's working from the blank canvas. He's like at the beginning of the new year, everything a fresh start. If God's for us, who can be against us? I mean, sure, Paul. <laughs> sure, like that's a great sentiment and a very good statement. I love the optimism, but we're only six weeks into the year and we've already seen job layoffs. We've got political instability. We've got Chinese spy balloons. We've got... Our football team didn't even make it to the Super Bowl. Too soon? I mean, it feels like there's so much working against us, right? Now, don't misunderstand what Paul is saying. The apostle is not diminishing real opposition or disqualifying the presence of hardship. He's actually referring to a particular set of people that despite all the opposition and the hardships of life, that because God is for them, then any opponent or, or, or any opposition is insignificant in comparison. Which is great news, particularly if you're part of the us he's talking about. He says, if God is for us, who can be against us? 
In fact, he goes another step further in verse 33 and he gives clarity to the us. He, he's talking about by referring to them as the elect. Check it out. He says, verse 33, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? What if we were to maybe take some time on a global Sunday, a Sunday morning, right in service, not on a seminar, not in a doctrinal class, not just in some leadership teaching session in the back rooms of church midweek, but on a Sunday morning in a global broadcast, what if we dared to to, to direct our attention to the doctrine of election just for a moment? I wonder if there's something that some good theology might hold for us. And maybe we can not just understand and unpack the concept of election, but hopefully identify who is elect. Because it's not only the doctrine of election uh, that presents, the Bible presents consistently throughout Scripture, but you will also find many references of the elect, both in the Old and the New Testament. So maybe we can flip through our Bibles today. I hope you got your Bible ready. Maybe we can flip through our Bibles this morning for a moment in the hopes of building a a biblical foundation to our faith today. And so let's go ahead and start in, in Mark, Mark chapter 13. Here we find Jesus in the middle of a long discourse of false, I'm talking about false teachers and talking about false prophets, mentioning the elect a couple times. He says in Mark chapter 13, sorry, Mark chapter 13, verse 20, he says, and if the Lord had not cut short the days, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, whom he chose, he shortened the days. And then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or look, there he is, don't believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, the elect. Be on your guard. I have told you all these things beforehand. We also see Paul refer to the elect when instructing Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 10, uh, 2, verse 10. He says, Therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they may also obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. In addition, when Paul was writing to Titus, he greets the elect and reveals the premise of his letter by saying this in Titus 1, 1, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth. Several times we see here in the New Testament in Paul's writings and references, he's writing to a specific group of people. That he's not writing to all people. He's writing to a specific group of people. The people he refers to as the elect. You see, the best way to approach the idea of election is ultimately to understand that election is ultimately a a selection or a choosing of someone. You know elections. We know elections in the United States of America. We know elections. And so we know what it's like to elect, to cast a choice, to put your selection forward, to choose. This concept is, what concept of election is that there is the elect are simply those that have been chosen by God. The Bible often uses this terminology in conjunction with the elect, the choosing. We find this in Colossians 3.12. It says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. In 1 Peter 2, verse 9, it says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. What is Peter saying? You couldn't save yourself. God had to save you. You couldn't call yourself out. It was, took someone to choose you 
and call you and bring you out of when you were dead in your trespasses. I don't know if you've seen much, many dead people. Dead people don't do much. Dead people can't do a lot. So when you're dead in your trespasses, you need someone else to bring you back to life. <laughs> Jesus, he says it this way when talking to disciples in John 15, 16, he says, you didn't choose me. I chose you. I mean, it's pretty plain, right? You didn't choose me. I chose you and appointed you so that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. So election is ultimately a reference to God's choice. It's God, not the person who plays the most pivotal and active role in salvation. So many people looking at me like with fear in your eyes. Are you wondering if you're elect? <laughs> you know, when someone chooses to believe in Jesus Christ, I know what you're thinking, but, but pastor, I put my hand up. I walked to the front and I said, I choose Jesus. Yeah. But any choosing you do is ultimately only a response to the leading of the Holy Spirit. This is how Jesus explains it in John 6, 44. He says, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up in the last day. Now, while it's clearly God who does the choosing, what's not so clear is why God chooses who he chooses. I mean, we're not gonna camp out too long in the fact that God does the choosing. The Bible is emphatic, the Bible is clear, and we all know when we were dead in our sins, we couldn't choose anything. When we were lost in our transgressions, we could not save ourselves. When we were a prisoner, we could not free ourselves. It required someone who was free to free us. Free people, free people. And so therefore, we could not save ourselves. It was God that saved us. It was God that chose us. It was God who elected us. We don't need to argue that. It's emphatic. The question is, why? Does God choose who God chooses? You see, if we went back to the Old Testament, we'll find in Genesis that it was God who chose Abraham. Not based on anything Abraham had previously done, but based on what he was going to do. You see, he called Abraham out from his father's land to a land that he would show him so that he could bless him and make him into a great nation and so that all the people of the world would be blessed as a result of him blessing Abraham. It wasn't because Abraham was spectacular. If you're looking at your external elements or attributes to wonder if I am elect because there's something I offered to God, God did not choose Abraham because he had anything on offer for God to use. In fact, he did not even consider Abraham's age or the womb's age of his wife. So therefore, there was nothing that they had fertile to give to God. What they actually had was barren, which worked against the selection process. However, God in his choosing, so I love you, so I choose you. I love you, so I choose you. It's interesting that God does not consider what we consider. He chose them based on His choosing. His choosing is a force. His choosing is something that God does. It's why we also see that with the descendants of Abraham, the Israelites became God's chosen people. Are you cool with more Scripture today? I'm gonna make sure I back this up with every verse you can find in the Bible. 
In Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 6. How where are all the Bible people at? Just show me. Give me a wave. I just want to know who in the church loves Bible references. How many people could take it or leave it? We'll work on you. Okay. For <laughs> verse 6 of chapter 7, it says, For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. And the Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for His treasured possessions out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. Check this out. It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set His love on you and chose you for you were the fewest of all the peoples. Verse eight, but it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that He swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and, a redeemed, and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, he wants to disqualify what you could start to maybe summarize as the reasons why God chooses who He chooses. That choosing the, the people of Israel, the nation, the Israelite nation was not because they were mighty or better or taller, definitely know that, or anything like that. It was because they were fewer. Not the way we would choose. Not the criteria that we would often put forward as the people that I would select if I was selecting a, a team of people. Again, he says it in 1 Chronicles chapter 16, verse 13. O offspring of Israel, his servant, children of Jacob, his chosen one. Psalm 105, verse 43, it says, so he brought his people out with joy, his chosen ones with singing. I could back up more scriptures, but I don't wanna kind of leave some for you to not get at your home time. I want you to make sure you understand that God chooses people that the basis of His selection is mysterious to us. Why God chooses who He chooses isn't the criteria that we would use as. <laughs> Sorry, it's just in there. But it's ultimately based on His choosing. Now go to the New Testament with me for a moment. Go to the New Testament. We see a significant addition to those that God chooses. Is this okay? Are you still with me? I just wanna make sure. I don't want to be too seminary on a Sunday morning, especially with our global broadcast. I don't want San Jose to get bored. I want to make sure that we engage this. But this is some deep stuff. I want you to have a real meal today. Full meal on the Word of God. And what we're going to see in the New Testament specifically, we see this, this significant addition to the people chosen by God. No longer was it just the Jewish nation only, but now Gentiles are considered among the elect. Because of Jesus, who is the elect of heaven, and new covenant he established as the church who are in Christ Jesus, we are the elect. Most of the time, I would expect the church to applaud, but you're still wondering who the church is. Okay, uh, let me break it down. How many people came to church today? Well, church is not a place. You are the church. The church is a people. It's the ecclesia, the called out ones, those who were in darkness but now have come into the light. Those who were lost but are now found. And they come together as a community of believers gathered together. And in their gathering together as the church, they become the body of Christ, the bride of Christ, the building of Christ. That He's building a bride. He's building a body. He is building a building of where He can house His presence in our hearts. This is the people of God, the church. And the church are essentially the elect, the called out ones. It's how Peter refers to the church 
As the church began to scatter under great persecution, he introduces this in his letter in 1 Peter 1.1. He says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles in the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia. He's like, these are the elect. You've been dispersed. You're exile elects, but you're still the elect. doesn't matter where you are. You're elect. Whether you're together or apart, you're the church. You are elect. Are you with me? You see, it is... God's word that accomplishes its purpose, calling out God's people, the elect, that they too may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Now this topic of election has certainly held some tension, especially regarding two elements. Can I, can I press a little bit this morning? Two elements, for starters, it's timing. Can we do a little bit more Bible study for a moment? I just want to make sure you're all with me. I'm just, I don't want to leave anybody behind this morning. I've got to pace myself and make sure that we go together because for some of you, you might have been wrestling with the idea of election for some time. For some of you, this may be the first time you've ever heard of it. Welcome to the party. But one of the tension topics around election is the timing of God, which requires us to do a little bit more study today because in Ephesians chapter one, we find that Paul gives us Clearly, the timing of God's election. He says this in verse three, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. He, in love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. So when? Before even the foundation of the world, Ephesians reveals that God chose you then. Now this holds tension because some take this verse to say it's, it, it means that, that, that before the beginning of the world, God chose certain people to receive his gift of salvation, while others have interpreted this verse to suggest that while God foreknew those who would receive and respond to him, receive salvation, respond to him, then those are the ones who God predestined to be chosen. I'm not about to shake your theology that much today. You can choose whatever you want to believe. It doesn't even matter. It doesn't even matter. The results are the same. Whether you think that God chose people and selected those people only before the world, or you chose, God chose people who knew would respond to him, at the end of the day, you can argue it out in groups. That's what you can do. It don't matter to me. It don't even matter to God. What matters to God is understanding that there is tension. And what's clear is that God's purpose for people was not an afterthought. It was settled before the foundation of the world. That's what matters most. Not when or who, but the fact that you're not an afterthought. That you are a pre-thought in the mind of Christ. Even before the formation of dirt and air, you were thought of. Even before the foundation of the world came together, he thought of you, he knew you, and he called you. 50% of Mountain View are clapping. Let's see how the rest of the campuses are doing. Now, I did mention that there are two tension points. And while the timing of God's election seems to cause some tension, there's an even great attention regarding not the selection of God, but more so the rejection of God. Now we're getting ready. 
I mean, we know that God is the one who does the choosing. That's clear in Bible. We also know it doesn't really matter how we think of when God chose us and what, what, what really we want to know and what really gets us fired up is the concept that if God selected some, then that means he rejected others. Next week, we're going to finish the sermon, okay? <laughs> just playing, just playing. What seems to be upsetting to certain people is that God doesn't select everybody. Because if God was a merciful God, then why wouldn't he just select everybody? Hmm. We've got to be careful when we project on God more mercy than he has because he is the most merciful being in all of the globe. And so you just got to be careful with what we understand from our poor perspective of mercy. In fact, let's tackle this because this week, actually, it's our 21st wedding anniversary. On Tuesday. Yeah. On Tuesday, we are going to be married for 21 years. And don't worry, I plan on celebrating in style too. In fact, every year, we, this is for all the married people, all the newly married people. Andrew Powell are about to get married next weekend. My, my, one of my greatest advice is budget big for anniversary trips. You know, I'm always confused. Everyone celebrates big for your birthday. You did nothing to do that. You just were born. You didn't even know. But you should celebrate an anniversary because you chose and your marriage means something, amen. Yeah, still 50%. All right. But I went big when, man, I remember the day I asked Kira to marry me. I went big. We went on a, a plane, a boat, and a car to the place that I was going to propose to you. And, man, we, we, I went all the way out. I spent every cent that I had. I was broke. I'm like, you're about to marry a broke man because I just spent it all on the proposal. And uh, I had a speech that I prepared for her and everything. I bought her an outfit. I bought me an outfit. That was a gamble, but it worked. I said a bunch of things I can't even remember now, but I told her ultimately I want to marry her because I love you. That was the speech in its entirety. It was a lot longer than that, but ultimately the crux of it was I want to marry you because I love you. Had a candlelight dinner. It's under some twinkle lights. It was amazing. You know what I did not do on the day I proposed to Kira? I didn't spend the day calling the other four billion women in the world informing them, I'm sorry, you missed out, I reject you. I didn't do that. All I did was go to her and say, I select you. Essentially, in my selection of Kira was rejection of everybody else. My premise for marrying Kira wasn't I wanted to reject everybody, I wanted to select Kira. I was placing value on her. I was placing love on her. In the absence of selection is ultimately rejection. This is essentially the same with God. However, God's focus is towards selection, not rejection. Now, I know what you're thinking. I know what all the contrarians are thinking here. You're thinking, yeah, but pastor, you haven't mentioned Romans 9.13. Okay, let's. Romans 9, 13, as it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. Ow. At first glance, this seems to look a lot like a clear rejection from God, the hate word. However, this is, this is actually an excerpt from Malachi. You need to read the Bible in context where 
God was referring to the choice of God to continue the promise of God through the line of Jacob. Therefore, his choice of Jacob for such a great privilege made the rejection of Esau seem like hatred in comparison. That in the selection was ultimately the rejection. You see, the degree to which God loves is so immense that when it is focused toward the ones he chooses, it creates a cavernous contrast to the ones that are not. That the way God loves is he gives all his love. God doesn't just portion love back. God doesn't allot love out. God loves lavishly. God loves with everything. He loved us so much that He gave His only Son. There is not more love than this to put your own life on the line for a friend. When God loves, He loves with everything. And if He loves with everything, that means those that don't receive the love don't get anything. Am I preaching to the church of Jesus Christ? Am I preaching to the Mormons today? Like someone who's wondering if they're gonna be the ones that get into heaven? I don't know who I'm preaching to today. I'm trying to preach to those that are elect of heaven, that God loved you so stinking much that He poured all His love to you. You should clap because you're in the house of God. You got Christ in your life. You're one of the winners. (laughs) It's like I'm still trying to convince you. God loved you so much. Now, Why is the election of God so important to grasp? Like, why does this even matter? Well, maybe we can consider the advancement of the early church because in the early church, what they experienced was a great deal of opposition. For instance, let's take a look at Timothy, one of the early church leaders for a moment, because what you'll find in Timothy is you'll find that Timothy had been appointed by Paul to lead the church in Ephesus. And as a leader, Timothy was what you would call timid. I mean, you know this. If you've done any Bible teaching, you've been in church for a little while, you've probably heard a sermon on Timid Timothy. Apologies for all the Timothys out there. Just, just fits too. You know, alliteration really works in Scripture and preaching. But Timid Timothy, he was timid for a reason. Because he had been appointed to a role that he wasn't prepared for. He was, he was, he was in a position, in an influential position, where, where he felt like he wasn't qualified. It was a position he was appointed to at the repercussion of Paul being arrested. Paul had to appoint somebody. He had to go into house arrest, and so he was shoring up the leadership structure, and he looks to this young man, Timothy, and he says to Timothy, a young man with little previous leadership experience in his life, Paul, his mentor, who had just been put in prison like a father figure, now locked up, preaching and he's commissioned him to preach the very gospel that's, that, that Paul was locked up for. <laughs> so there's good reason why Tim would be timid. Now, despite all of this, the Ephesian church was a leading church within the body of Christ, which attracted a lot of attention. So you could say that there was a lot working against Timothy. There were a lot of factors that were against him. In the reality of what he had to do in life and in leadership, there was a lot stacked against him. However, Paul writes this this personal uh, response of encouragement to Timothy that we get to bear witness to in 2 Timothy 2, verse 8. In 2 Timothy 2, verse 8, we get the clear and personal letter of the writings of Paul who understood the persecution 
He wasn't away from it. He understood that the odds were stacked against him. And then he writes this in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8. He says, remember Jesus Christ. That's a great way to start. Risen from the dead. I love that way to back it up. The offspring of David, man, he's going in deep, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Paul was at one point the greatest enemy of the faith. Paul was working against God. He was killing Christians when God chose him. Not who I would choose. Not who I would put in my criteria are the people that I'm gonna choose to be on my team. I'm not picking the ones who are working against my team. But in the midst of his opposition, what he considered the greatest enemy of God, his own words, God chose me. And the greatest enemy of the faith became the greatest friend of the faith. This was the transformation that we see in Paul. And Paul writes from this premise reminding Timothy, he says to young men, See what God's doing. God called us. You didn't choose this. So why are you questioning things? One of the things I have to deal with leaders is most of the time is not whether they're good enough, not even competence. It always goes deeper. They wonder, am I called? When I'm talking to pastors and leaders, who are facing opposition and hardship and wondering if they're growing or if they're being successful, they always go to, am I called? Why is that? Because the enemy wants to question your calling. It's not your competence. It's your calling. He goes right to the point to question the very thing that God called you out of because if he can question that, he can disrupt the foundation of your life. It's the fact that God called us which shores up our salvation. It's the fact that God chose us that means that it doesn't matter what I face. I didn't choose this. He chose me. He called me. It's his fault. Blame him. And he writes with this premise to Timothy and he says, I love that line, although I am bound in these chains, the word of God is not bound. You see, Paul uses his current condition to encourage the young leader. He, he's like, there are some yeah, there are some things working against me, namely these chains. But God's word is not bound, for it will achieve everything it sets out to do. In other words, he's, he's saying, while you're focused on the things that are against you, you're missing one thing that outweighs them all, which is God is for you. While you're so focused on all the things that are against you, you're missing the blinding, obvious statement of Scripture, which is God is for you. God, This is called the God is for you factor of your faith. The God is for you factor of your faith. The fact that God is for you. How do you know God is for you? Because He called you, He chose you, He elected you before the foundation of the world, before He made the sea and the sky and the grass and the trees, He called you and God is for you, not a 
against you. There are many things that are against you. Sure, Timothy, there's opposition, there's economic climate, there's job loss, there's uncertainty, there's betrayal, there's all these things in life. You're working with people, guess what? There's things that are against you, but doesn't matter all the things that are against you because if God is for you, who can be against you? What he was saying was he was not diminishing the reality that there is opposition. He's not disqualifying the fact that there is things that are against you. Things are always against you. So much though is God for you that it makes the things that are against you insignificant comparison to the fact that God is for you. It's not even even. It's not like, well, I've got all these things that are against me, but I've got God for me, so I'm in equal balance. And uh, No, 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 it's not about that. There's no equilibrium, it's stacked with God. That if God is for you, everything that is against you is insignificant to the grace and the power and the majesty and the might of God. But God is for you. I wonder what it would truly like to live knowing as your default that God is for you. Not constantly talking negative about your situations. Oh, I just got another tax bill. Oh, I got this against me. You know those folks, right? Some of them are saved. <laughs> you know, there's like a social thing that when someone says, how are you going? They're not asking how you're going. All they're looking is, fine, how are you? Like that's, that's it. That's the interaction. It's a greeting. If you've wondered why people stop asking how you're doing, it's because every time they ask, like, well, uh, let me start. I don't know what's going on today. It's like midday and already. (laughs) I'm not talking about being fake. I'm talking about getting the for you knowledge of God. Maybe try this when someone says, how are you doing? Say, hey, God is for me. Who could be against me? My goodness, you better watch out. Hey, do how you doing? Oh, my Lord is for me. It doesn't matter. There's things going on. There's stuff against me. But guess what? God is for me. Everything will turn out. Everything will work together. I'm chosen of God. I'm the elect. I'm blessed. In fact, how you doing? It's the for you factor of God. It's the for you factor of your faith. It's the for you factor that takes the things that are against you and works them out for your good. It's not just because God is good that He turns things out for His good. It's because God is for you. Therefore, the things that work against you actually have an advantage in your life because of God. Therefore, it's not saying Paul is not diminishing the things that are against you. Paul is not diminishing the diagnosis that you just got scared with, the the economy that you're looking at, the bank balance that doesn't add up with the bills that are coming in. Paul is not diminishing that like you're meant to just live naive in life. No, he is saying, let Let me remind you that even though those things are against you, God is for you and He has chosen you and He has called you and He has lifted you up out of the miry clay. You are no longer dead in your trespasses, but you are seated with Christ Jesus. So everything that works against you will be for your benefit. God will work them together because He's for you. 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 He's not for an economic. He's not for the, the, the. He's not for a candidate. He's not for a party. He's not for a society. He's for you. He's for the church. He's for those he's called. He's for you. It's the for you factor to your faith. That the very foundation of your faith is that God is for me. 
This is not some pie in the sky, weird sentence like God is for me, who can be against me like I'm walking on clouds and I don't face a trouble in the world. No, this statement comes from the person who's in prison, the person who's bound, the person who's not sure how it's gonna end. But he said, I might be bound, but the Word of God's not. So whoever's against me, it doesn't matter because my God is for me. Somebody needs reminding today that God is for you. He has chosen you. He has called you. That He lavishes His love upon you. He directs His love toward you. How could God reject people? Wrong. Why did God select me? I don't know, but I'm gracious. I'm grateful and I will receive the love of God. It wasn't anything I did. That's the greatest thing you can come to, the greatest conclusion that you can have in your life. I don't know why God chose me, but He did. And because He did, He is for me. So I'm gonna live victorious. I'm gonna live with my calling. I'm gonna walk boldly. I'm gonna walk confidently. I wouldn't choose me. I wouldn't choose me. This was the sentiment of Paul the Apostle. I wouldn't have chose me, but God chose me. So who am I to reject the choosing of God? I'm gonna walk as one who's free, even when I'm bound. My freedom isn't in these chains. My freedom is in Christ Jesus. God is for you. I want you to stand to your feet in every single location all around the globe. In every campus. Some of you need reminding that God is for you. You've been caught up in the against you. Your eyes have been fixed on the against you. And there are things against you. No one is disqualifying that every one of us have got stuff against us and some of us more than others. There are seasons where it feels like everything's against you. There are seasons where it feels like some things are against you. So whatever season you're in, let me qualify the fact that there are things against you. There is a devil that is against you. Sometimes we're against us. But what you need to put as the backdrop or dare I say the filter to everything is against you is the fact that God is for you. You need to be reminded that God is for you. And when you begin to realize God is for you or the against you, doesn't matter. You begin to surrender them to God. God, you do it. God, you take care of it. God, I need you to intervene. I know you're for me. I know what this is saying. This is the reality. I'm not gonna step out of the reality of life and just pretend like it's not happening. I know it's happening, but God, I choose to go to you. I choose to go to the one who's for me. You can make a way where there is no way, who can forge a path through the dry places. I need to go to God so that you can remind me you're for me, God. Hey, I hope you were blessed by that message. We release new content every single week here at Vive Church. And so if you don't wanna miss any of it, I would encourage you, go ahead and subscribe. Also visit our website, vivechurch.org to stay up to date with everything that's happening in the life of Vive Church. God bless you.